Hi, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a new program from WRBH, where every week you can meet local poets and fiction writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on poet and publisher Megan Burns. Hi, I'm Megan Burns. I am a poet in New Orleans, where I grew up. I am the publisher for Trembling Pillow Press, which is a small press that publishes full-length collections of poetry. I also run a local reading series called the Bloodjet Reading Series, which is a weekly poetry reading series. And I also recently began co-directing the New Orleans Poetry Festival along with Bill Lavender, who is the publisher of Lavender Inc. books here in New Orleans as well. I went to Naropa University is where I got my MFA, which is a Buddhist university in Boulder, Colorado. That was begun by Allen Ginsberg. Well, the writing portion of it was begun by Allen Ginsberg and Ann Waldman. So they are a huge influence on a lot of my writing. And I will read a poem of Ann Waldman's in a little bit. I thought I would start actually with a book that I published from Trembling Pella Press in 2011. And it's by a local New Orleans poet, Lee Grew. And the title of her book is called Downtown. And the poem that I was going to read is called Women Carrying Water. Women Carrying Water. The well away from the house, a black pot on a wood fire to boil the clothes, five years old, I carried water in a syrup bucket, carried water to help Fill the kettle up to wash the clothes. Women spend 40 billion hours a year carrying water. Like ants down Maram trails in Uganda. Down dry roads in Mexico, dust rising with their feet. Women carry water. A trickle from a single pipe in Mississippi. Women carry water. Twenty families drink from one pipe in Mississippi. Sun says, I'm tired seeing you haul water, bound to be better over there. She says, can't leave home. Some do, he says, and leaves. Over there, it's better or worse or just the same. Women carry water. The water is close. There is no water. They move on to where there is water. And the family holds on. The family holds on like ants under the leaves when the rains come and there is too much water. All over the world, women carry water in tin cans, on their heads, in camel bags, in two buckets on a yoke over the shoulders. Women carry water. Women carry water. Here in an American city, years after the levees broke, Women carry water in the lower nine. And that was from Lee Grew's book, Downtown, and she is a New Orleans poet, a New Orleans poet matriarch. She's been doing a lot of work in New Orleans poetry for a very long time. Next, I was going to read a poem that I wrote. I wrote this for a friend of mine who's also very active in the poetry community in Baton Rouge. Her name is Desiree 
Stella Giacomo, and she works with a lot of the, the youth in Baton Rouge uh, facilitating the spoken word groups and recently brought a bunch of young Baton Rouge poets to California to perform where they did really well on the spoken word stage. So it's very good work they're doing over there. I wrote this for Desiree on her birthday. It's called Wrist and Hoof for Desiree Della Giacomo. Love is a type of drifting. There will always be a doubting. Imagine this is how you grow older, how the world wonders, don't you remember? This is a place built on disappearing. No stable landing. What are you supposed to do besides what you have to? Think about how hot a fire must be to burn on water. I know how to construct such tender-hearted we live before we die. Simple bargains now a-dusking. I think there's fear. There's a fear, an eventual writing against the content of our content. Let's talk about how the heart changes form over time through people. Let's talk about its opening and closing, the way it can never be stopped, but how we clutch. This is how we carry. This is how we buck and spar. I have come to consider futility, the heart and its want, desire and defense, speak and break speech, a raining down of what we hold hard against us. Once you are strong, you can never not be. The unbreakable source of language is cherry of cohesion. Any animal loves attention, runs from danger, can't always see it coming. These are matters of form. Poetry is a type of canoeing in a small lake, Love is a bare question, it scatters. The best trick is believing the world wanted you. We row out uncompassed, cramming up the dead mouths. This, no end of lettering. One of the teachers that I had at Naropa University was a poet named Akila Oliver, and she passed away several years ago at a, a very young age. And she was an amazing poet. Um, her book is called A Toast in the House of Friends. And I was going to read the last poem in this book. The title of the poem is as though it were addressed as a letter, but there's no name in the title to the letter. So it's just a blank space and then the comma. So blank space, comma. And tenderly... You want to touch his skin, to specify the moment of desire. You want to touch his face, the contours of the cheekbone rising above his left jaw, skin so pimply smooth beneath. You want to breathe clarity into his face, the words just escape. Unedited hose are generous mothers, more like tears incapable of apportioning themselves in dichotomous boxes. You say to him, precious child of your imagination and that carnal thing biology books in 11th grade speak of called the uterus. You still believe the stomach is the holding site, no matter what they say, no matter how many teaching assessments you may have passed, no matter how many decades later, you still tend to say stomach. And you don't know why you say tend, like 
tend to your business, lit girl, or tend to some unknown fire. Your hand the object of knowing on his pimply brown cheek. A historical terrain passing beneath your touch. You want to tell him of the beauty of a boy you once knew. You called him brother. You sat with him on brick borders, dividing property lines. You want to tell him for his whole generation. You want to say, you want to say, I once knew a baby boy. His confusion was much like yours. I loved him so deeply and skin like yours. Chafed and ashen under a common household shower, his skin, the pimple topography of battles, unknown soldiers, impervious little boy drummers, tears and hormones like yours. I loved him much. I miss him much. My responsibility is not to you, as a little sister's would be. My responsibility to you some almost twenty years after his death, is a mother's, not a baby sister's. How I miss being some precious, forgotten boy's baby sister. And that was Akila Oliver from her book, A Toast in the House of Friends, from Coffee House Press. I have three books um, published from Lavender, Inc., Memorial and Sightlines was a book I wrote right after Katrina, about post-Katrina New Orleans. It was published in 2008. And then I wrote a book called Sound and Basin, which was published in 2010, that is about the Gulf oil disaster, uh, the Deepwater Horizon disaster, and its effect on the ecology in the Gulf. And then I wrote a book that was published in 2015, it's called Commitment, and I recently finished a manuscript for what will be my next book, which is called Basic Programming, and it's a book that is concerned with uh, the programming that we receive uh, through our culture and society and things we are exposed to, beliefs that we kind of take in, and it's also concerned with attachment theory, which is a theory of how we attached to other people and it's mostly a long uh, kind of examination of elegy and loss and how we attach and then how we lose people in our lives and I thought I would read the first poem in the book and one of the ideas that the book kind of wrestles with in its elegiac process is uh, suicide uh, my brother committed suicide three years ago. And so it's one of the things that I talk about. And this is the opening poem in the book from Basic Programming. To Break Against. Image of my brother's head blown to bits. Way a skull can't contain what we are. Way bones splinter and fragment like a stone covered in cuneiform speaks to us across time. How you will save yourself, heart's seat, indestructible drop. How quickly you flew from us, birded, skull threaded in a womb where I too was threaded, lacuna in a life sentence. 
And then here, too, firstly, to step beyond this veil and hold us as we come along, back and forth, souls crossing near enough to touch. When you look into that book, can you read what is written? Can you see? Last time I saw you, my anger kept me from speaking. I am lost. Can you find me? I can't tell whose grief. There is so much illusion. How can I ever hook you? I did not love you well in this world, my brother. I did not know how to love. And I do not know why I can forgive you anything. But I cannot forgive myself. And that is the first poem from Basic Programming. Uh, I thought I would read a political poem. This was written by Ann Waldman during the Bush administration, the second Bush administration. And I'm reading it out of her collected In the Room of Never Grieve, New and Selected Poems. And Ann was one of my teachers at Naropa. She's one of the people that founded the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics. She's a very performative, very politically active champion of poetry and all things being human. As this, this piece I'm going to read is called Global Positioning. Global Positioning. That the shoe fits for the inaugural demonstration should not surprise you that you are in an Abraham Lincoln free speech mode of wait and wonder, that someone, a family member perhaps, she who does things, was in your dream last night, that the conversation about coal encoded provoked this outburst, that the president select said vulcanize when he meant to say galvanize and you thought that was a rubber kind of slip, that big business is ruining your hometown, that the family member, perhaps dreamed of, later phoned with two questions, that one of them concerned the discrepancy between lore and love because she was confused when the president select said disimprobably about the sex life of his predecessor, and she was glued to a talk show that wanted you to be confused yet think their way, that you tried to get her to pitch the other question about the financial mortality of the Roman Senate when it was worrying the question of supremacy that all you wanted was a Supreme Court of your own, and that you said that repeatedly as you marched around the August Roman building way up in Washington, D.C., where they run your life from, and that what you said, doing a witchy kind of spell thing, was, this land is mine, this is mine, I am an American, this was always mine, I speak the language, I pay the tax. I want my own Supreme Court. It was never yours. You never voted properly. It was never easy to read the score from the dugout that the game is transnational now, that continental hegemony is not your game. It never will be. It never was. You were never a player. 
that pensioners are always looking for empty bottles in the city dump out by the ballpark and never finding them because some of the world is recycling bottles before they get out that far into the city dump out by the ballpark. And they didn't warn you because you are far from a telephone. And because you never had one, you never knew how to stay in touch. But it was never the intention of being human to live by honeyed gadgets that they might never work for you. When the bottle glass breaks easily, it never would hold together for you, although you could be found always wandering the sites of waste and want, even if you couldn't see the global positioning devices that accumulate above your head, far above your head, you would never need to know that they might pinpoint your exact whereabouts as you wander the sites of waste and want near the city dump out by the glamorous, star-studded ballpark, thinking about glass and its antecedents. That was Anne Waldman's Global Positioning. This is a poem I wrote a few years ago for a friend of mine, the poet Gina Myers. It's called Breaking Cusps, Break Corner. An evening of gathered folds, do you recall how water wanders You say enough in a poem, and then you have said it. What gets knotted is the straight way we have of lately. Still, there are mornings of repeat. What did you want most, and one least? Botched way of making a family. I would say, there's no real winning life, but then love spills. Think about this time as your own Brontean moor. It killed all the baby birds because it could. You could find no sheltering storm to home. You hold still like dark. You carry secrets. So many you forget how to call them. This makes you like everyone. You are a true-to-life death. These dolls need an unboxing. If you make a thing once, you should be able to do it again. But that's not always the case. I was as life-size as I could be. When a one-year-old is gunned down on the streets of New Orleans, what choice do you have? This next poem I'm going to read is another poem from the manuscript, Basic Programming. Uh, I do use some basic programming language throughout the book, uh, just kind of playing with the idea of computer language and how we read language. Another thing I do in, in the book is I don't ever use the word the, just as a little game for myself so I think we use words often without even knowing it so this piece is from a latter part of the book and it's numbered 20 coding we don't have to live desperately my heart of course I will come to you who will you be when we meet again dear love you can't enter me and not come away Wounded, like it's easy to pick a stranger. When I wake up, I miss you. Take your favorite characters and tell me how they survive other people. Steer safe passage, a pirate's life for me. Letters of anonymous to anonymous mark, inscribe clear waters. Between this screen of your life and this screen of your dreams, a thousand screens you would never notice unless you learn to see clearly how we learn ourselves last, how we are cross-roaded to what we end our days with. Birthdays are when you wake up, 
when you can't go back to blindness, time moving around us, you can make it too. It takes a toil to be there, unbreakable shaft of light dwindling, contained too long, madness comes. When he stepped through that door, it swung shut. I made peace with surviving. It swung again. Here in that space, we speak. I was going to read a short poem from Emily Dickinson. I don't usually read a lot of formal poetry, but I do love Emily Dickinson. This is number 721, and this is from the Complete Poems of Emily Dickinson, edited by Thomas Johnson. 721. Behind me dips eternity. Before me, immortality. Myself, the term between. Death but the drift of eastern gray, dissolving into dawn away before the west begin. Tis kingdoms afterward, they say, in perfect, pauseless monarchy whose prince is son of none, himself his dateless dynasty, himself, himself diversify and duplicate divine. Tis miracle before me, then tis miracle behind, between, a crescent in the sea, with midnight to the north of her, and midnight to the south of her, and maelstrom, in the sky. That was Emily Dickinson. I'm going to read one more poem by another poet and then a final poem by me. And this is a very new poem. It's uh, from a book that was just published last year. Uh, it's called After We All Died. It's by the poet Allison Cobb. And it was published from Asada Press. And this as well is the first poem in the book, After We All Died, by Alison Cobb, and it's called, I Forgive You. I forgive you. I forgive you fingers. I forgive you wrists and palms. I forgive you web of veins, the nameless knuckles, 27 bones, the nails and moons below. I forgive you feet, the toes and toenails, metatarsals arching up, cuneiform, the cuboids, and navicular. I forgive you soul of foot, fibrofatty pressure chambers, dense packed nerve and tissue, the spring ligament. I forgive you ankle, lovely with twin bone swells. I forgive you calf abundant, kneecap knee joint, extra complex and temperamental. I forgive you bone and sinew, blood vessel and braid of muscle. I forgive you tidal lymph. I forgive you skin, the coast on which all washes up. I forgive you thigh and buttock, anus, vagina, clitoris, urethra, mons, a rounded mass of fatty tissue, inner and outer lips, the smooth stretch of perineum. I forgive you, sacroiliac, the bones, wings, laced with tendon, the pelvic inlet, and the brim. 
I forgive you coiled intestines lined in tissue soft as velvet, the uterus and eggs inside of ovaries, the fluting tubes fallopian, the docile stomach sac. I forgive you my esophagus, moist mucosa, heart and lung lobes, liver, kidneys, pancreas and gallbladder, the spleen. All the inner organs curled together in the dark and muttering like clocks, like memories of clocks. I forgive you. I forgive you breasts, your lobes and lobules, ducts and alveoli rising to the darkened areola and the nipple passage outward. I forgive you golden seams of fat in semi-liquid state encasing in your oily cells the poisons of the world. I forgive you mouth, the teeth and budded tongue, the epiglottis, pharynx, and the tuft ringed trachea, the larynx with its cords for making sound. I forgive you nasal cavity and sinuses, the ear canal and clear walled eyeballs, all the head holes opened to the rain of light the floating atoms of the air, the jacked together molecules of the stupid human world. I forgive you ropey muscles of the neck and face so overstrained from constantly composing mirrors. I forgive you brain, three pounds of convoluted meat plastered with gray nerve cells wrapped in blood-rich tissue floating in your own sweet bath of fluid. I forgive you spinal columns sprouting from the brain stem, flaring wires to spark electric charges through dumb tissue. I forgive you glands, both tubular and alveolar, releasing streams of chemicals and mucus, sweat and milk and oil. I forgive you every hair bulb, constantly dividing, pressing hardened protein shafts up toward the light. I forgive you cells, all 100 trillion, the inner ocean that has ebbed and flowed across three million years. I forgive you every part, performing all the intricate and simple tasks that make this mass alive. I forgive you all for already having died. That's Alison Cobb, After We All Died. Her poem's called I Forgive You. And the last piece I'll read is a short piece that I wrote called August for Laura Mattingly. Ribbons of sun, dusky breath over this horizon, shimmering outlines of branches screened like a midday suffering, each breath reckoned, throats of ash, throats of wander, distant shade a sprinkling, photographs of nude bodies in black and white, a scrolling of sex at the fingertip, tipping displays to match grain to groove, a warren for memory. At the hardest edge, have you gone blurry, gone unnoticed? Scalded faces lap up injustice. There's only one path to disclosure, one sure foot graced for escape. We turn over ancient metaphors, a type of joy we solder. Why does love happen? We keep asking the silent hours. And that poem was called August. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for supporting poetry. That was poet and publisher of Trembling Pillow Press, Megan Burns. You can find out more about her and her work at tremblingpillowpress.com. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a new community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in Saturdays at 3 p.m. and every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing.
Thanks for listening.